Telluride Science, it's science straight up. And this time... It has been said that the 21st century will depend as much on photonics, that's the science of light, as the 20th century depended on electronics. So, <laughs> welcome to the world of light. And Jennifer Hollingsworth of the Center for Integrated Nanotechnologies at the Los Alamos National Laboratory generates light from little specks she calls quantum dots, or QDs. I'm George Lewis. And I'm Judy Muller. Dr. Hollingsworth is one of the scientists who gathered in Telluride, Colorado, for a series of workshops put on by Telluride Science. As a way of giving back to the community, these scientists deliver town talks, sharing their insights and discoveries. When Dr. Hollingsworth spoke at the conference center in Mountain Village, she displayed a photo of herself, smiling triumphantly behind a row of flasks with liquid glowing in a rainbow of different colors. Those flasks were filled with quantum dots, which have begun to light up our lives, part of the revolution in nanotechnology. Beautiful things to be made from the nano regime, also very, very useful things. Um, the 21st century has seen um, a myriad of nanomaterials actually being implemented in real technologies, from the antibacterial band-aids that use silver nanoparticles uh, to super hydrophobic fabrics, very water repellent, uh, dirt repellent, uh, to very light and strong uh, materials that can be used to create tennis rackets, for example, um, in particular carbon nanotube-based structures. Before we go farther, here's a hitchhiker's guide to the nano-universe. A meter is a little longer than three feet, right? A nanometer is one billionth of that. By comparison, a human hair is 80,000 to 100,000 nanometers wide. Even those of us with thinning hair have tens of thousands of nanometers. Or another way of putting it, a nanometer is a million times smaller than an ant. What Dr. Hollingsworth and her colleagues are brewing in their lab are quantum dots in the range of 2 to 10 nanometers. They are crystalline structures that act as semiconductors, and they can be made to light up. It has been said that the 21st century will depend as much on photonics, that's the science of light, as the 20th century depended on electronics. So, <laughs> welcome to the world of light. The color of light that the quantum dots emit depends on the size of the dots. They actually can be grown to glow blue or green or red or whatever. And we can tune it very precisely now from the ultraviolet and blue all the way well into the infrared. And so quantum dots work with light. They change it and they make it. We take photons and convert uh, from one color to another for display technologies, lighting technologies, solar conversion. The research gave birth to a company called Ubiquity, a little play on words there, the QD standing for quantum dots. The company makes a quantum dot plastic film that can be stretched over greenhouses. And the quantum dots absorb solar energy and they convert it uh, into other colors of light. It's not just a filter. They're actually absorbing the light and emitting photons in a different color. And they specifically choose the quantum dots to emit light in colors that the plants can use better to grow. And so it's a very you know, interesting and relevant, I'd say, uh, technology. They're pretty versatile. They can use light to produce a different kind of light. They can use electricity to produce light like an LED. They can use light to produce electricity. They can be used in camera sensors or video displays. And because they're really, really tiny, they can be used in medicine, injected into the body to target, say, 
cancer cells. The quantum dots emit light, and we can use that light to image cancer cells. We can tag the cancer cells now and see them because of the light being emitted by the quantum dot. Not only see the cancer cells, but kill them. All you need is a bit of laser light. So the one example that looks like a Pac-Man, <laughs> it, it has our giant quantum dot in the center, um, and then it's enveloped in glass and then in a thin layer of gold. But the reason we add the gold shell on the outside is because if you hit the gold shell with another laser, typically infrared, the gold will heat up, and then you can actually thermally ablate, uh, basically kill, destroy the cancer cell. Um, and the other bit that I thought was cute about that structure was, as I mentioned, the, the giant quantum dot, um, the intensity of its, the light that it emits um, is linearly dependent on the temperature. And so as the gold is heating up, the local nanoscale environment, the quantum dot's feeling that, right? And so it's losing some intensity, but in a linear way that we know. So we can tell you what the temperature is um, as, uh, you know, where, when you're ablating the cell, when the cell is being killed, we know the local temperature because the quantum dot is now your thermometer. So it's like a nanoscale thermometer. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. I actually got that. You said that this is going to become the age of photonics, that the 21st century, mm -hmm. that the 20th century was the age of electronics. Yeah. Do, 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 I, do I trade my MacBook Pro in for a computer <laughs> that runs on light instead of electricity? So, <laughs> yeah, and it, and it may actually be um, a combination, like hybrid technologies. Right. Light may not do everything. The reason people like photons, say for communication, even potentially as building blocks for uh, future quantum computers um, is that the photon travels at the speed of light and it doesn't interact a whole lot with the environment. Um, so if you could embed the photon with information, you can actually move that information around very efficiently. And so it, it's another tool we have now uh, to build these communication or computing technologies. They ran into a few hitches on their way to the age of photonics. Over time, exposure to light, oxygen, and water can cause quantum dots to flicker and burn out. But then they discovered how to grow a protective shell over the dots. We just happened to be growing one composition shell on top of the core out to very thick, you know, thick layers of the shell um, that, wow, these guys are actually showing suppressed blinking. Let's push on that you know, and see what happens. Um, so as my graduate advisor likes to say, uh, even a blind pig will sometimes find a truffle. <laughs> and so, you know, we hate to yeah, admit it. Yeah, a broken clock is right to, <laughs> twice a day. <laughs> well, we hate to admit it, but a lot of discoveries are serendipity. Yeah. But once you make that discovery, and then you go back and try to figure out why it works, then that becomes the basis of a new design criteria. You know, so it's, it's a little bit be, of... <laughs> that had to be very exciting. When you saw that, oh, it was. A, I, I, I can still visualize the day when I'm looking at my postdoc's notebook and we're staring at this data set and we're like, "Oh my God, it's not <laughs> blinking!" Yeah, it, this it, one's working. Um, but now we've we we know what makes it work, and so we've applied that knowledge to other compositions, and so now we have non-blinking behavior that spans the ultraviolet blue all the way into the infrared, and so. Yeah, so that's the next step. So what's the warranty on my uh, my quantum dot light bulb going to be? <laughs> or the television, right? Yeah, I mean, well, and so so you can you can also um, 
you can build a better light bulb, you can build a better quantum dot. Um, you can also just encase these things in, you know, like a, a matrix, right, glass or polymer that protects them uh, from mm -hmm. the nasties, you know, from oxygen, from water. Um, the nasties? The, na the nasties. <laughs> the things that make them die, basically. <laughs> oh, the things so, that make us live, live oxygen right. and water. Right. <laughs> so we, yeah, and so you can attempt to um, fix the quantum dot itself, which is what we do in my lab because we're chemists. Um, but, you know, companies will probably do a lot more with matrix development, right? So put them into a glass or something that's, uh, that's going to just protect them from the environment. Here's a fun fact. You can use quantum dots in printer ink, even do 3D printing. Actually, we have a 3D printer in my lab, and the cutest thing we've ever printed is a little this size um, model um, of the Statue of Liberty <laughs> that incorporated our quantum dots. The, in this case, they happen to be quantum dots that emit in the infrared. So when you make them glow, you can't see them by eye, but when you detect them with an infrared detector, Lo and behold, the Statue of Liberty is glowing. They're very convenient uh, chemically um, because you can do a lot with them. Um, yeah, e either at the individual particle level or on the ensemble level. So they're fun. <laughs> I lift yeah. my quantum dot beside the golden door. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, good. It is yeah. a national lab. And uh, I'm just curious, I have to ask, are there defense applications? for yeah. quantum dots, and yeah. can you talk about it? And don't worry, it'll never leave this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I can talk about some of the stuff. but yeah. <laughs> uh, Right, so just like a tennis racket benefits from lighter, stronger materials, right? Um, you could imagine that you can build a lighter, stronger gun. Um, the armor um, that, the, so there, there's armor made, by, uh, made of carbon nanotube films that actually outperform Kevlar in terms of flexibility really? and the ability to withstand an impact. Um, there's a little bit fancier stuff that's more relevant to quantum dots would be sort of sensor technologies. So you can detect um, chem uh, bio radiation threats. Um, you could uh, develop catalysts that can actually break down the warfare ag agents, right? So that's another um, type of nanomaterial. Um, something I've worked on, or I should say that basic science version of it, uh, we call it tag track locate. Um, so you can use things that emit light, um, you know, say in an invisible spectral range, um, to tag objects of interest, shall we say. Oh. Um, and and uh, yeah, so there's lots of different applications. Uh, and many of, the, many of them are parallel to what's happening in the commercial realm. Can you yeah. talk in layman's language about uh, how you grow these dots? Yeah. I, I, you know, what's the manufacturing process like? Yeah, so in the laboratory, um, we use a vessel that's called a flask. These are uh, glass vessels that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Think of your pot in the kitchen, yeah. <laughs> um, and and we don't um, and we add a solvent. So you might add water to to heat up some pasta or whatever, right? So so we add a solvent that's typically in our case like a, a non-aqueous solvent. So okay, a high boiling um, uh, uh, liquid, um, and and we heat that up, and then we inject very quickly, typically um, so-called chemical precursors. So these are like the ingredients in a recipe. And then those uh, precursors, uh, these are molecules that will break down at the high temperatures at which we've brought the solvent um, and, and react together, mix together to form 
the, the quantum dot, right? So, um, so we have a molecule that brings in the cadmium, for example, and a molecule that brings in the selenium, um, and so that together they form cadmium selenide quantum dot. Um, now, the reason they stay the size of a nanoparticle and don't just keep growing is we have another ingredient in the pot um, which are called ligands, um, and these are molecules that actually can bind to or interact with the surface of the nanoparticle as it's growing and kind of help stabilize it uh, in, that, in that size so they don't just keep growing. Ever try to make a souffle? You have to get the ingredients and the temperature and the timing just right. And by carefully watching the clock, Dr. Hollingsworth and her colleagues can grow tiny quantum dots that glow blue or bigger ones that glow red. And so some of these reactions can happen very, very quickly, like in seconds. Mm. And so you have to, we say, quench the reaction um, quickly if you want to keep the size very, very tiny, right? So you, you allow them to react in a, in a seconds, and you add, say, cold solvent to freeze and cool down the reaction very, very quickly so that the particles stop growing. And then you let it go 10 more seconds, and you get the next size. 10 more seconds, you get the next size. It really depends. There, there are different types of reactions. Now, it, as you might imagine, um, <laughs> there's a lot of potential for human error and, yeah. and variability. <laughs> Actually, an interesting um, avenue for change, really, in the, in the nanomaterials community is to push towards automation and try to remove the human hand as much as possible um, from the synthesis. Um, and so in our lab, we've developed an automated reactor system that relies on sort of fluidics to do all the addition of the precursor and the extraction of and, and so for the control of the temperature and the stirring and so forth. Others use robots, uh, robotics. How <laughs> difficult is it to scale this up to make industrial yeah. quantities of this stuff? Uh, it, it's actually, um, um, it's been done. It's being done. I mean, so... I have a, I had a former postdoc, for example, who actually worked for one of the nano or quantum dot uh, companies, and he said it was interesting. Depending on the scale that they were producing the nanoparticles at, um, in some cases they were just using giant flasks <laughs> to just make your flask big, but on the other extreme end, they were they had what looked like um, you know when you brew beer, or I mean right, so the big vats, the big metal vats. So they're growing quantum dots in these massive uh, vats, right? <laughs> so. Um, so that's one way, um, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Well, I yeah. just said Business Wire magazine called 2023 the year of the quantum dot. Yeah. And because they're very interested in televisions and okay. computers. And, and what are some of the real practical things that we could see? Well, maybe not in our lifetime, sad. But, um, I mean, soon. Uh, <laughs> soon. <laughs> that would affect our lives in terms of what quantum dot nanotechnology could do for us. Well, I mean, they already are in television, they, television, LED. other forms of displays, right? Um, sensors, uh, technologies, um, they're, so, they're in those. Um, because you can um, make quantum dots that emit um, colors that are very pure, okay. right? Um, and so you can get better color density and, and quality. Um, Better saturation. I don't so know. So much more television. <laughs> yeah. All the time. I mean, you know, okay, yeah. so you, you can argue whether that's very, you know, how important is that, right? It in, is. In the grand is. scheme of things. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's a commercial product that, that certainly um, 
that some people enjoy, right? So, oh, yeah. so it's relevant. Um, and of course, medical applications, potentially secure communication and better computers, faster computing. We will entertain questions uh, from the audience. And has anybody got any questions? Uh, I would like to know, just explain the basics of how you know or how you measure the size of these quantum dots. We image them or we, we take pictures of them using what's called electron microscopy. So it's very much like an optical camera, except for instead of photons that allow you to see you know, things, um, we use electrons. Um, and the reason you can use electrons is because they, they, uh, their, their wavelength is ultra, ultra small. You know, so it's smaller than the objects we're trying to, to image. Where all we're trying to see is the size. And so, so yeah, it's like taking a picture, um, but with, with electrons instead of light. And once you know the correlations between the color of light that they emit and their size, um, then basically I don't even have to get the TEM or the electron microscope. I just get the spectrum. I know where it's emitting. I know what the size is because I know the composition. If you look at the trajectory and history of semiconductor electronics from the discrete transistor to the seven nanometer technologies that are available today. There exists or are available technologies which allow us to discreetly isolate and integrate optical technologies on a chip, which would include electrical and optical communication channels. Um, is that the next step in the development of uh, quantum bit applications? The future is going to um, really be based on quantum science. Um, it's going to be based on things that are very, very small, so sub seven nanometers. It's going to be based on um, properties that even go, um, you know, that, that yeah, that are based on, on quantum science, not the not just simply um, electronics. Back in the 1960s, yeah. Gordon Moore at mm -hmm. Intel Corp correctly prophesied that you could double the number of uh, transistors on an integrated circuit every couple of, years. Couple of years. My right. first transistor radio when I was a teenager had seven yeah, transistors. Yeah. Right. My smartwatch has billions of them, right? So yeah. when you're down at the nano level, aren't you getting toward the end of the road in terms of being able to well, you're getting pack semiconductors in a tiny space. I mean, if that's all you're looking at is the traditional semiconductor-based technologies. Right. Yeah. But if you're if you're um, looking beyond that, right. Then... So you have to get you know to the realm of where quantum mechanics takes over. Right. Um, I mean, so people are looking at single atom level, uh, <laughs> which is pretty wild stuff, yeah, right? Um, yeah. But uh, but other other types of physics takes over, and so it. So how do you break Moore's law? And it's not simply going to be going down in size. It's going to be looking at other phenomena um, that allow you to, um, you know, do things differently, right? It's not. You already alluded to the fact that in traditional uh, computing, we're talking about a, a, a zero one bit. In a qubit, it's just like unbelievably more powerful, right? You, you typically visualize it as a as a sphere, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of the information is every little point on that sphere. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so the superposition of all of those states. Um, so it's just so much beyond what we can do with the conventional Moore's Law approach. You so ain't seen we, nothing yet. We ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah. I mean, and, but that, again, that's from the chemist's perspective. <laughs> do we have any more questions? Yeah. How would you deliver these particles for cancer therapy? Do you yeah. take a pill? Can you take it as a Great pill? Great question. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, all right, so the idea, too, would not be that 
you initially flush your whole system with them, although you could. Um, but you'd probably try to target, you know, the tumor, for example. Um, so whether that would be injection in the area of the tumor, um, right, or, or not. I mean, I, I'm not a me- medical person either, but yeah. So, so I think I think it'd be more targeted uh, rather than you know, full body, because basically they have to be in the vicinity of the cancer t- to be able to find it and bind to the cell. And, and then there's tricks you can play, too, by the way, I think, you know, in terms of circulating the nanoparticles, they have to be of a certain size. So sometimes we might want to make them a little bit bigger than we actually synthesize them. Uh, if I remember right, you know, I think something more in the range of 80 nanometers or 100 nanometers is more ideal than these very tiny particles. Um, but, you know, in terms of penetrating into a tumor and, and getting through and circulating in the body. But, yeah, sorry. Uh, um, yeah. Um, the other thing is, too, if you're relying on light to make them work, you know, so, for example, the thing we made, you have to hit the gold with an infrared light source. Now, fortunately, infrared penetrates the skin pretty well. Um, so if, if your nanoparticles are, you know, inside, under, under the skin, um, we should be able to get an infrared light source, you know, through. Um, but you may have to actually, you know, put a fiber optic into the body, you know, close to where the, the tumor is to activate the nanoparticle. All right. <laughs> That's all the time we have. Or as they say at Los Alamos, dot stot. <laughs> Let's give a big hand to Jennifer Hollingsworth of the Los Alamos Lab for enlightening us. Thank you. Enlightening us with a light bulb. Enlightening us, yes. <laughs> that is a million times smaller than an ant. So how many ants does it take to change a quantum <laughs> like um, Jennifer. That's the um, next talk. Thank you so much. Thank you for that great presentation. I actually thank understand you. it. It's okay. wonderful. Thank you all for coming. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Science Straight Up. And George, do you think they could come up with a quantum dot that will attack your punster cells? That would be a difficult punder taking, Judy. Ugh. We'd, li- we'd like to thank the Telluride Mountain Village Homeowners Association for providing our venue at the conference center where our session was recorded live. Dean Raleigh of Dragonfire Productions is our excellent audio engineer, assisted by Vicki Phelps. Alpine Bank is a keynote sponsor of Telluride Science. Mark Kozak is executive director. Cindy Fusting is executive manager. Annie Carlson runs donor relations. And Sarah Friedberg is lodging and operations manager. For more information, to hear all our podcasts, and if you want to donate to the cause, go to telluridescience.org. I'm Judy Muller. And I'm George Lewis, inviting you to join us next time on Science Straight Up.